So Israel set out with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to Isaac in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I'll make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. And then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and the little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their livestock and their property, which he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him into Egypt. The longer I live, and you'll relate to this because you're old enough, all of you in this room, is to realize that we are uh, creatures of habit. You've heard that saying before? I was thinking uh, if the fall, the one thing about the fall, I'll tell you a little bit about me as a creature of habit. In the fall, something happens. It's harvest time, right? And one of the things I love in the fall are fresh peaches. Now, do I sit down and eat just a fresh peach? No. I eat a peach on a bowl of Cheerios. And you say, why do you do that? I don't know. I've done that since I was a kid because I'm a creature of habit. And so I'm in my Cheerio peach mode right now. And, and so um, for the next few weeks, I will be doing that, and it's a great thing. But anyway, <laughs> so life gets exciting when you're 54, Okay. But um, there's other things, isn't it? It could be a morning routine. You ever notice you have a routine? Um, it could be a certain day for you that uh, shop. Maybe there's a certain day you go to the grocery store. It could be the way you drive to work. You always drive the same way to work, a favorite chair or the clothes you wear. I heard a statistic not too long ago that out of all our clothing in our closets, we wear 20% of our clothing 80% of the time. Isn't that interesting? Come on, get rid of those 80% of clothing. That's interesting. We wear 20% of our clothing 80% of the time. Ladies, that's a word from the Lord for you. Quit shopping. Okay. Now, being creatures of habit, <laughs> so I can do that because those ladies know he can talk tough, but we got him. So they just, you know, they just, you ladies always do that. You never really care when I do that. You just go. We know we got you right where we want you. So anyway, but that being so, when we then come up with a challenge to change, um, to change something in our life, um, our first reaction, you know what it is? We try to resist. We really do. We say no. We say I can't or I like this one. Well, why? You know, why would we do it differently? You know? And, and we all are guilty of that. You could think you're one of the most progressive individuals there is. And I, if, if I could analyze your life for a little while, I'll find some routine in your life that you would have a hard time changing. Um, and so rather than considering that something good can come from change, um, we usually look at it as a negative and we're slow in coming around. And sometimes we never do change. It's like the two caterpillars that were walking along one day. Yeah, you guys, you know, this is the, the the advantage and disadvantage of one service. Is there's more of you, and you are just got an attitude, you know? 
it's just, you know, now be nice, okay? Be kind. But anyway, there were two caterpillars walking along one day, and they noticed a butterfly flying by. And so the one caterpillar nudged the other and said, you could never get me up there for a million dollars. See, change. I like this one. True. A letter to President Jackson, the seventh president of the United States by Martin Van Buren, the, the governor of New York at the time. He said, President Jackson, the canal system of this country is being threatened by the spread of a new form of transportation known as railroads. The federal government must preserve the canals for the following reasons. One, if boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result. Captains and cooks, drivers, repairmen, and lock tenders will be left without means of livelihood, not to mention the numerous farmers now employed in the growing hay for horses. Two, boat builders will suffer, and tow line whip and harness makers will be left destitute. Three, canal boats are absolutely essential to the defense of the United States. In the event of the expected trouble with England, the Erie Canal would be the only means by which we could ever move the supplies so vital to waging modern war. He concludes, as you may well know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at enormous speed of 15 miles an hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passenger, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. Then he concludes, the Almighty, got to bring God into it, right? <laughs> Certainly never intended that people should travel at such breathneck speed. Sincerely yours, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. And we laugh at that today because we realize that not only have we surpassed the railroad train, but it's necessary. And so there is all types of transportation. And, uh, and yet all of us have been in that place, haven't we? We laugh at that governor uh, of offering lame explanations as to why we don't want to embrace the change that is coming and the good that it can bring and resisting it rather than embracing something different or something new and moving ahead. And as followers of Christ, listen to this carefully, we need to understand that our walk with the Lord is to be a walk of change. It is to be a walk of constant growth, you know, and thus effective in our service for him. And so as we come now to chapter 46 and chapter 47, one of the things we're going to see is this idea is because Jacob, as, you, as I just read, will pick up all the family and move them some 250 miles to the west into another country. And, of course, that's where Jacob will end up dying as well, although he doesn't realize it at this time. Now, as we finish, finish chapter 45, Joseph had just revealed himself to his brothers. And having given uh, the invitation, been given the invitation by Pharaoh to go get your family and bring them back. Remember, there's a famine going on and they could settle in Egypt. Joseph sent his brothers home to bring back his father, his wives, the children, uh, probably grandchildren, uh, servants, everybody, everything, if you will. And of course, that meant telling their father that, Jake, that Joseph was alive. And so no doubt that was a shock for him. But then if you look at verse 27 of chapter 45, the NASB says it revived him. In other words, it lifted his spirits. In other words, he, he was encouraged, of course, wouldn't you be, if you were a dad and you thought one of your children were dead and then you learned they were alive. And so then as we come to chapter 46, um, we see then that the first thing he does is he stops in the city known as Beersheba to the south. 
And again, that may not be significant to you and I, but it would have been to Jacob. Years earlier, it was here that Jacob uh, lived for just a short period of time when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. His grandfather Abraham had lived here. Uh, His father Isaac had lived here. And it was at Beersheba that Abraham died knowing uh, and believing that God would make him into a great nation. So it's interesting now that at the same place that promise was in the midst of being fulfilled with Jacob. And Beersheba had been a place where both Abraham and Isaac had sought the Lord. And now Jacob will seek to do the same. It says that Jacob offered sacrifices to God. And if you think about that, you don't need help with that. You understand what that means. It means that he worshipped God there. He took some time to get before the Lord. And so before he goes any further, first he would worship and he would seek the Lord. And, you know, that's a there's some real good principles here because obviously he, he is sensing God's leading. But even in the midst of that leading, he's going to stop and double check. And of course, the Lord speaks to him and makes tells him that, you know, and, you know, that is a a great reminder for us that when whether we're facing change or facing anything else, seeking the Lord and worshiping him first is so important, you guys, really. And it doesn't have to be the big thing. It, It could be it should be the little things as well. And we need to do that. Giving him that place of importance is always a wise thing to do. Even having a place, Jacob goes to Beersheba, and we don't want to get locked into a situation where, for instance, there are people that, um, you know, our our worship facility isn't really grand. Okay, it's good, isn't it? Because it makes us focus on the Lord. But if let's say we had a multi-million dollar sanctuary, and it was just, you know, incredible. Um, it would be very easy for you as a person, or me even, to get locked into the fact that in this situation, in this facility, with its surroundings, is is how I need to worship God. And that's not good. But as as Jacob goes to Beersheba, there's nothing wrong with having that special place where you like to get alone with God. You know, where you know you could, you know, have some privacy and stuff like that. And so that's not a, that's not a bad thing. And so at Beersheba then, he does this, and the Lord spoke to him and assured him it was okay then to go to Egypt. Remember, again, Abraham went there, and he was told, don't go there. And so now he's wondering, is it okay? And that the Lord says, yes, it's okay. And in fact, he says, I'll be with you. I'll fulfill the promise to make you a great nation and bring you out again. And how comforting that must have been to Jacob to hear the Lord say, look at it, if you will, there in verse 3. And in verse 4, you see the words, I am God, Um, I will make you great, I will go down, I will also surely bring you up. And you know, we don't want to be the ones always talking about ourselves. But when the Lord is talking about himself, that's a good thing, and that's what he does. He says, I'll do this for you. And, And there's nothing more reassuring than when the word of the Lord comes to us and assures us when we're in need of his reassurance, and we hear that voice that says, I'm with you. And so we also can find encouragement also in the fact that Jacob feared and God said, don't be afraid. And so, again, what a good reminder to you and I this morning. And again, this is why it's so important you and I spend time in the Word and with the Lord. You know, you could be in the midst of something. If you're not, just give it time. You'll be in the midst of something. Okay? And it's so important that you, at times, are being encouraged from the Lord. And maybe some of you, what I'm going to say, you've never experienced it. And I hope it's like 
a, a, a challenge to you. But you need to understand that you can get into the Word and you can read the Word and just be quiet before the Lord and all of a sudden the Lord will speak to your heart. And it's almost like, oh my goodness. And so it's, you know, it's this book, it's in this time frame, this is the context of it and all that. And yet very specifically, the Lord will take something out of that and speak very clearly to your heart and encourage you. So that's an important thing. And so Jacob, he's willing to go, but he wants to make sure. And so verse 5, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones, and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him, when they took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, and Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. And so what would become Israel the nation? They make this move. They would be now a nation within a nation for a while, and and then they would eventually be let out. Now, from verses 8 to verse 25, I'm not going to read it because I'm not going to give the youth group ammunition of how I pronounce names. Uh, but anyway, you could look down there and you'll see that it lists the, the sons of Jacob and and uh, grandsons and, and so on. And then you, it finishes at verse 26 by concluding all the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. And all the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. Now, how do we get from 66 to 70? Most will say this. It's because you, Joseph would not have been included in that 66. Jacob was not included, and Joseph's two sons were not included. So when you add Jacob and Joseph and Joseph's two sons, it brings it up to 70. And so those are the guy, the men that then went on into Egypt, as well as women and children. So there were more than, than 70 that went on in. And so they arrived in uh, Egypt. And, and Jacob, even though he's 130 years old, note that, 130 years old. As we watch that DVD Wednesday night, one of the things Greg Laurie pointed out is the fact that we don't like to change, do we? And we do tend to just become those creatures of habit. And I, I love when I read this because I'm thinking, wow, I hope I can have, be flexible when I'm what's going to be the equivalent of 130. Don't worry, I'm not going to live that long. Okay. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But anyway, he's 130 years and he's willing to make the change that the Lord would have him make. And, and so like so often in his life, um, it, it was yet another time for him to have faith in the Lord and trust in the Lord. And to Jacob's credit, that is what it's about. Being a person who keeps trusting God and keeps having faith in God. And so notice he wasn't told how long he'd be there. He, he wasn't told how big the nation would become, not even how they would be blessed all God said is, I'll bless you. But he knew God was going with him, that God would never leave him. And that's all Jacob needed then to make the move. And you know, you guys, we have those same promises. The book of Hebrews, a New Testament book written for you and I says, the Lord said there, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. How long is never? Never. It's forever. You know, he'll never leave us. He will never forsake us. And my, my verse, my life verse is Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And I thought, Lord, every time I read that verse, I just flash back through my life and I realize it's always been true. You've always instructed me. You've always taught me. You've always shown me 
where to go. Your eye has been upon me. And so we have that same promise. And so as we grow, as we face, we're faced with changes in our lives, we, we, we may not know what they mean. We may be at times in the dark. But we can know and be assured that the Lord will be with us and the Lord is good. And he'll, good will always come from it. And so, and so there may be a cost, but that isn't to determine what we do. Listen to that. Because, see, we get it backwards. We start weighing the cost in deciding whether we're going to be obedient or not. And that is not the way the Scripture works. The Scripture is always asking us to trust, to have faith, to step out, regardless of you know, what it's going to cost us or the pain that it might cost us. And so obedience to the Lord is to be our priority regardless of where he'd have us go and what he'd have us do. And that's an important thing. And so arriving in Egypt, verse 28, um, he sent Judah before him. Jacob sends Judah before him to Joseph to point the way before him to Goshen. And so they obviously would have known where Goshen was, but exactly where do you want us in this big area? And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph prepared his chariot. He went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And as soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a long time. And then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face that you are still alive. And so wondering exactly where they are to settle, Jacob uh, sends Judah to Joseph. And that also would serve then to let Joseph know they had arrived. And so with all that had happened, and so Joseph makes his way up there. But notice, with all that would happen between Joseph and his brothers, again, we've got to note, we can't pass this by, that the past is gone between these guys. And they truly are reconciled with one another. Any distance that once was there is gone. Judah is the one that said, let's not kill him, let's make a buck off him. See? But now Judah is the one that says and goes and gets him and says, Joseph, we're here. So it's a real incredible thing that has taken place between the brothers and Joseph. And so Joseph's love really for the Lord and his love for his family kept him from, withholding, from not withholding his own love. And forgiveness had, had truly taken place. I think of the song that we sang this morning that, where it says, hate has been forgotten, see. And, and that may sound shocking. You know, that's not something that, you know, okay, let's have a testimony meeting, but it's going to be focused on our hatred, okay? You know, we don't, we don't like to put out that dirty laundry, do we? But the truth is, at times, we have some pretty evil thought towards people that have hurt us and stuff. And, and so, but here we see that there's been this reconciliation, and that's why Joseph is a type of Christ. Because he's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament that he could forgive. If anybody had a reason not to be forgiving, it was Christ with everything that was done to him. And yet he was completely forgiving. And you know, as I think about this and this whole area of the brothers being reconciled, I thought, to me at least, and I hope to you, it, it speaks of a couple things. One, it should give us hope that reconciliation is always possible. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. And sometimes it will take months and even years but reconciliation is always possible. And the second thing is, and it's a bit more challenging, a bit more conviction, it should be something that we are seeking if there's a need for it. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5:23. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. And so the Lord was saying there that, Patching up things between individuals is to be a priority. It's to, it's to be important. 
So again, it's something that I just want to nudge you a little bit in that area because it's easy when there's been a falling out to just let it go and not pay any attention to it and yet the Lord would have us to hopefully be reconciled. And so having been reconciled, then it is Jacob's turn. And no doubt with emotions that I think would be higher than when, he, when the brothers saw that it was Joseph. Joseph, it says, falls into the arms of his dad. They're both older. They had both gone through so much by this time. But the bond of father and son had never left. And almost instantly it was back as they hugged each other. And could you imagine both of them? Oh, what a reunion. When Jacob found out that Joseph was still alive, I I can't help but think almost every moment of every day until he saw his face, he was just thinking about it. And no doubt for Joseph, man. I wonder where my brothers are at. I hope they turn turn around quickly. When will they get here? You know, and he's just kind of pacing in the palace, doing his job, waiting for that word. They're here. And so, and you think he you know, trotted up there to Goshen? I don't think so, man. I think the minute Judah said, hey, we're here, man, Joseph, you know, probably had a, 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 whatever he rode, you know, right there ready to go. And and so they, they're, they're united. And Jacob's words when he says, now let me die since I've seen your face that you are still alive, it isn't pessimistic. He's just saying, now I'm satisfied. Now I'm fulfilled. And what an incredible thing it is to see the father and the son put together again. And you know, let me go a little bit off the trail right now for a minute. And I just want to speak to you men. You ladies can apply it to yourself as well. But guys, listen to me here. Here we have a grown man. He's 130 years old and we have a grown son. Incredible men, both of them really in their own right. But you notice what they do there? The embracing, the hugging. And I think it's a challenge to us guys today here that when is the last time that we let our kids know that we love them. See, that's an important thing. It's not as big an issue as it used to be like in the 40s and stuff when, you know, guys were stoic and, you know, you never showed your emotions and sometimes we were too much of an emotional society and too much is based on that. And yet at the same time, you guys, we want to make sure at times we let our kids know that we love them even as they get older, you know. My son has, you know, moved to Spokane against God's will and I'm hoping God won't smite him. <laughs> We need to edit that out because if he hears that, he's going to be really mad. (laughs) But I was over there on vacation and, you know, as I left, I hugged him. And, you know, guys don't need to say much, right? A hug says it all, you know. But I did hug him. And I was saying, man, I love you. And he was saying, I love you too, Dad. See? And that's so important, you guys. And make sure you're doing that. And even to your older kids. And, And let me tell you this, you know, you say, well, I wasn't raised that way. Well, let me tell you, I wasn't raised that way either. I had a dad that left the scene when I was three years old and I had a mom that loved me dearly but my mom did not show a lot of affections. And so I don't know where the heck I got it. I just figured, man, you know, because I'm, I'm, I told you this, I, cry at, I cried at Lassie and I just cry all the time, you know. So we go to a wedding, I'm the one crying and my wife's over there stoic, you know. So, you know, but anyway, uh, at the wedding, at Jeremy's wedding, I cried. You know, and Jeremy cried. So it's a trait of the Vincent men. So we're criers. But anyway, it's, a, it's just a good encouragement. And so verse 31, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh. And, and or, or he says, he said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh. That, and when you say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to you. 
And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and they uh, and, and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of the livestock from our youth, even until now, but we are fa- but, but both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome uh, to the Egyptians. And so they're reunited, and Joseph then gave them instructions when, you know, he's got to take care of business. Okay, now listen, I've got to take you to Pharaoh. When I do this, this is what you're to do. You're to tell him your shepherds. You're to tell him your keepers of livestock. And the reason for this was that the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. Now, that may seem like counterproductive, but what it's going to end up doing, it's going to then let them be located where they end up being located in an incredible part of the country and isolated from the Egyptians. You that want to go a little farther here, you could look into this, but one of the reasons that, and one of the problems Israel have, and you'll see it as we move through the Old Testament, as they go back into Canaan, what's going to happen? There's going to be a simulating of the nation of Israel with the nations around them there, and that's a problem. They weren't to do that. But as they're in Egypt now, God very wisely does this thing, and he has them settle in a part of the country that was a good part of the country, but it wasn't highly populated. And so they would have that isolation. They'd be able to become the nation that God wanted them to become. And there wouldn't be that problem of of intermarrying with the Egyptians because why? They're shepherds. And what did the Egyptians say? We don't like them. So it was kind of a a positive thing then that the Lord um, worked out. And and there's something here that um, is easy to miss. Um, but it's a humility of Joseph and his family. You know, they've come into a land now uh, that belongs to another, and they were invited, of course, but they still have to respect the laws and the ruler, Pharaoh, of that land. And now, uh, in this uh, once messed up family, we really do see this incredible humility as they then get ready to come before Pharaoh. And I thought, Lord, that's a good reminder for all of us this morning that humility is to be a mark upon our lives. What did Jesus say in Mark 9:35? If anyone so wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. See, I was challenged on vacation. I read a book, and uh, it was a fiction book. I rarely read fiction. I, I have to. I read so much. I just don't normally read fiction. But I didn't really want to read just the stuff I usually read. So I wanted to be lost in a fiction book, and I read this incredible book, and it was about. Um, it had to do with lawyers and street people. And it was amazing because it's a secular book. It's not a Christian book. And it's uh, and yet I found myself being so challenged um, with my attitude towards the homeless. And, you know, the people that are always at the freeway off ramps and all that type of junk and how our attitude gets. And the Lord just was whispering to my heart the whole vacation about that, just saying, you know. And so it was that humility thing that God was kind of working in me and speaking to me and saying, be careful. Watch your attitude. I know they got problems and all this, but man, you're still to be humble. And, and so, you guys, that's an important thing. You see, humility isn't a switch to be turned off and on. Humility is to be a work that has taken place and is taking place in our life. It's, it's something we are becoming, changing, uh, coming from Christ and understanding who we are and what he's done. I came across this interesting account of following September 11th, uh, 2001, of course, when the trade centers went down. Syndicate columnist and former president speechwriter Peggy Noonan drove to the lower Manhattan to witness the relief effort taking 
place at ground zero. She found herself focused on the convoy of trucks filled with rescue workers coming off their 12-hour shifts. The men in the trucks were construction electrical workers, police, emergency medical workers, and firemen. It was a procession, a pro procession of the not-so-rich-and-famous. Nonetheless, these New Yorkers were celebrities in a human drama more significant than any Broadway act. Noonan joined the crowd, the growing crowd of onlookers cheering the workers with shouts of God bless you and we love you and they clapped and they blew kisses. She writes, I looked around me at all those of us who were cheering and, and saw who we were. Investment bankers, orthodontists, magazine editors, and my group a lawyer, a columnist, and a writer. We had been the kings and the queens of the city, respected professionals in a city that respects its professional class. And this night, we were nobody. We were so useless, all we could do was applaud the somebodies, the workers who, unlike us, had not been applauded much in their lives. I was so moved and oddly, I guess, grateful because they'd always been the people who ran the place, who kept it going. they just never been given their due. The reversal Peggy Noonan witnessed is nothing less than the foreshadowing of what Jesus talked about, a day is coming when the first will be last and the last will be first. And the reason I use that story is I want you to realize that is a picture of lives that are living humble lives. And it's not just being put on at the right time. That's what they are. And that's what you and I are to be. And again, I want to encourage you not to discourage you. If you're here this morning and humility is a, a struggle for you, if you tend to be a prideful person, understand that, that God wants to change it in you. You know, and really humility isn't bad. It's, a, it's kind of a cool way to go, really. The Lord knew what he was doing when you just are humble and you serve one another. It's a great blessing. Well, having arrived, Joseph then went into Pharaoh to let him know, verse chapter 47, then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all they have have come out of the land of Canaan and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and he presented them to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And so they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we've come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for our servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the, land of in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servant live in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. And so the gratefulness that we had one time already noted about Pharaoh, we see it again as he sees Joseph has been used by God to bless, these, to bless his country, to save his country. And Pharaoh is very aware of that. And he's very grateful for what Joseph has done and he's going to reward him. And doesn't it remind us, you guys, think of this for a minute, that we serve a big and a gracious God. He had taken this family... Uh, who had made uh, their share of mistakes, and they'd never stopped. He never stopped loving them and watching out for them, and now done what only God could do: relocate them, given them favor. And it reminds us that when we face the impossible, it isn't impossible for the Lord. See, any time we think it's impossible, we're facing. I tell you, something's not going right in our relationship with God. Really. Because we should always have that sense that, okay, I know it doesn't look good, but it's not impossible for the Lord. And I think that's what we see in this whole big picture of what God is doing with this people and eventually a nation.
And so verse 7, Joseph brought his father now, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? And you're kind of thinking, wow, does he look that bad? You know, but it's not that. I'll tell you in just a second here. And so Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourney are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they obtained the years of my father's lived during the days of their sojourney. And so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and he went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession of the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramsey, of Pharaoh, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all their father's household with food according to their little ones. And so having taken his five brothers, and why just five or what five, we don't know. Um, Joseph brings his father then to Pharaoh. And it had to be really a very moving scene. He asked Jacob how old he was. And again, I don't think it was his appearance, although I'm sure he looked 130. But it was really probably about respect. Uh, Pharaoh recognized that Jacob had lived a long time and he probably was a man of great wisdom and vast experience. And so Jacob says, I haven't lived as long as my father's. And his grandfather Abraham had lived to 175. Isaac, his dad, had lived to 180. And he mentions his life had been hard when he says in the words, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. And just think what we studied in Genesis of everything that Jacob had been through. All the, the stuff that this guy had been through we understand then why that he, he says what he says. But notice, and I think this is important, I don't think he's crying here. I don't think he's saying, feel sorry for me here. I don't think he's regretting things. It, but it, it seems that he's not hung up on that, that, that the past really isn't its focus. Because why? Because twice he blesses Pharaoh. Once when he enters and once when he leaves. And I think it says his focus is on the Lord and it was on the spiritual things that the Lord was doing. And so it would seem he's, he, he's moved on. He's, he's passed all the things that have been done to him and the wrongs that have been done to him. And he did his own share of wrongs, but he's not hung up on them. And notice the present isn't either. You know, um, he, you realize he's just come in to the most powerful person and the most incredible country in the world at that time. And all the splendor and everything. And I love this because it, it just seems at this point, <laughs> what, you know what Jacob's impressed about at 130 years old? The Lord. That's all he's impressed about. Because there's no you know, talk about, wow, Joseph, you've done well for yourself. Quite the digs, man. You know, There's nothing like that. And, and I think it's very significant that he blesses Pharaoh and then he blesses him again. Um, and really, that's what a patriarch is to do. And, and, and that the Lord would give us then that kind of focus. That the things that impress us are not the things of the world but are him and the things that pertain to the kingdom of God. And so as we'll stop here this morning and we'll pick it up there next week, let's just recap real quickly and then we'll get into our time of communion this morning. The first thing we saw was change. And change requires trust and faith. And I know for many of us, God is asking us to change. Really probably for all of us, he's saying, are you growing? Are you moving on? Or are you getting too comfortable in your walk? So that might be the thing that spoke to us. We saw the whole area of worship at Beersheba, that first place. How's your worship this morning? How's your worship of God? And it isn't just a Sunday morning. It isn't just a quiet time on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. When the Lord does something throughout the day, you find yourself saying, Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. See, that's a worship of God. 
We see the assurance come through in this passage where he tells Jacob, I'm with you. And we're reminded he's with us. We see the reconciliation, reminded of that again. We see the humility as his family is now in another land. And then we see the focus of Jacob so clearly on the Lord. And so those are some things to us, to encourage us, to challenge us this morning. So Jesse, guys, come on back up and uh, let's go ahead and take up communion this morning. And as we take up communion this morning, I want to speak to any of you that are here today real quickly. And uh, if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. You know, it's the most important decision you can make. Everyone needs to make it. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that if you're here and for whatever reason, you know, when God started moving in my heart before I came to the Lord, I was actually involved in quite a bit of Christian stuff. I I was at a Christian camp. Um, I was actually starting to go to church a little bit. And so I was into these, starting to be exposed to that stuff, but I still hadn't made the commitment. And I think that's looking back, I realize that's how the Spirit works. The Spirit starts drawing us and making us aware of the things of God. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, we're going to take communion in a minute. As we're taking communion, you can just bow your head and you could just pray and say, Lord, I want you in my life. It's that simple, really. And if you do that, then I want to talk to you afterwards because I want to explain a little bit more to you. But I want to encourage you to do that. Okay? Matter of fact, I need to exhort you that if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, and I, I need to ask you just to let the, the bread and the juice pass you by. Because it is about the Lord, and, and we're not to take it in an unworthy manner. So it, it is for believers in that sense, because it's our Lord. It's, it's, we rem- we're remembering what our Lord did and for us in, in this. So, But I want to encourage you that. And, and believers, I want to encourage you. As I said to begin with, this is a worship time. From the beginning to the end, we've come into this house of God and we've come to worship Him. And so we've covered some ground. We've mentioned some things. And maybe there's one, two, maybe everything I hit on today spoke to you. <laughs> Let me know. I'll pray for you this week because you're going, okay, i got work to do. But maybe one of those things did speak to your heart this morning. And, and you're not, hopefully you don't feel condemned. You just realize, okay, Lord, I hear you. I heard your voice on that. And then you pray too and just say, okay, Lord, thank you and help me with that. And he will. And so um, the ushers are going to pass out the bread and the juice as they do that. If you'll take them and hold them, I'll lead you in taking them. And so let's just worship the Lord of the song that Jesse has picked out. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory.
Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection and why should I gain from his reward I cannot give an answer but this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom and why should I gain from his reward I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. You know, I was reminded as we were singing that, what an incredible song, huh? I was reminded, though, of the passage in the New Testament when uh, Jesus was, uh, I think he was probing um, maybe one of the Pharisees or scribes and about who loved more. And he put forth that story. And the, the it could have been the young, I can't remember who it was anyway, but he said, the one who's been forgiven much. And it just always speaks to my heart when when I when I look at that last verse I will not boast in anything nor gifts nor power nor wisdom what are, what are you going to boast I'll boast in Jesus Christ his death and his resurrection why should I gain from his reward I cannot give an answer but this I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom you know and I know this is going to sound kind of a negative thing but it's not is do you realize how unworthy you are <laughs> do you realize how if you're like me sometimes you it seems like the harder you try the more you fail you ever feel that way you know you just go you know lord this week <laughs> and the week's over and you go lord this week <laughs> you know but i'm so grateful and i hope you are too cuz lord i'm not going to boast then i'm not going to boast in my Inability, Lord. I'll boast in one thing. I'll boast in the person of Jesus Christ for what He did and what He continues to do.